0: You all here the week after Easter, Um, I'm Joe Davis, I'm the lead teaching pastor here at the Garden, thank you very much, thank you. Um, We're starting a new series today, Um, and basically it's about our stewardship and our giving, so basically we've entitled it Guilt. No, I'm just kidding, I'm just, it's just a joke. So, but what we've done is we've decided to title it Movement. Don't go to church. For real, that's kind of where we're going with this. Because what I want to do, I have a goal in mind during this series. And it's going to be about four to five weeks. Um, And the goal is that we want to get our congregation away from the old thought process of giving that seemed to come into the church in the last couple centuries. Because in reality, the way that we give today looks and feels nothing like the way the church gave in the first century. And I'm not talking about amounts or anything like that. I'm talking about the motivation. I'm talking about the desire. And what I hope is that we can take, just like we did during our series on prayer. Remember, we talked about it. We called it Fun with Prayer. And we tried to transform the way you thought about prayer. We're hoping as a worship team and as a staff to transform the way we as a church think about giving. So we called this a movement. And we're going to go through each week, and we're going to take this word movement, and we're going to break it down just a little bit. And this first week, what we're going to be doing is we're going to try to define a movement. Let's see, is it working here? Bring that mouse over. There we go. Defining a movement. This is the first lesson. So let me, uh, let me get this to you, okay? A movement is the effort to assert relevance to a set of core values and attempt to alter and change society. A movement is an effort to assert relevance to a set of core values in an attempt to alter and change society. Because in reality, I don't care how much you're giving. If your core values aren't changing your society, then it's not a movement. See, a movement is not defined by dollar amount. A movement is defined by impact. And there are many different types of movements. There are political movements like, you know, for example, in recent history, the Tea Party and Occupy Wall Street and the Arab Spring. Those are types of political movements. There are movements to fight immorality or bad theology, like the Civil Rights Movement or the Reformation Movement. And there are movements motivated by pure human depravity, free love, hippie movement. Some of you just got upset with me on that one, I know. What's wrong with the Grateful Dead? There are governmental and economic concepts that often spur movements. Communism, fascism, libertarianism, capitalism, democracy. And so there are different things that cause movements to begin. And sometimes the movements are good, And sometimes the movements are bad. But before anything can be a movement, it has to be impactful. Without impact, it's not a movement. It's just an idea. Does that make sense? And the church, in reality, should be considered a movement. But for many, unfortunately, the church has become an institution. You guys heard me say this last week that institutions are for those who want to receive and movements are for those who want to sacrifice. And if your involvement in a particular group ends up where you are a net receiver instead of a net contributor, then that group is an institution for you. That's just the bottom line. If you are involved in a group where you are a net giver then there is something in your core value that has caused you to believe in this thing and it becomes a movement in your heart and so for those of us that want to truly appreciate the church and what it is and what it should be we must look at it the way it started It didn't start as an institution, although in many ways the church in America particularly has become an institution, unfortunately, in my opinion. But it didn't start that way. I'm going to look at a passage in Acts chapter 11, 19 to 26. Last week during our Easter service, if you were here, it was kind of, actually last week was kind of a kickoff for this, right? And we talked about the early church and the things they went through. And we talked about what happened on the southern steps of the temple when people You know, when Peter was preaching and people came, thousands came to trust Christ. That was a movement. People were sacrificing to be a part of it. But listen to this passage. This This is one of my favorite descriptions of what happens in the early church. Acts is a very much, Acts is very much a historical book. Now to those who had been scattered by the persecution in connection with Stephen. Stephen was a martyr who was killed for his faith. And people were running away because Stephen was killed. We don't want to be killed. So they were being scattered. So those who had been scattered by the persecution in connection with Stephen traveled as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus, and Antioch, telling the message only to Jews. At this point, the gospel, the church, is exclusively a Jewish movement. Some of them, however, men from Cyprus and Cyrene, went to Antioch and began to speak to Greeks also, telling them the good news about the Lord Jesus. This was something different. As different and as transformational as the church movement was in, the, in, in early Acts, this was even more transformational. It was sort of like a movement within the movement. This would have been something that would have caused a different denomination, if you will. The Lord's hand was with them, and a great number of people believed and turned to the Lord. News of this reached the ears of the church at Jerusalem, and they sent Barnabas to Antioch. And they sent him because they said, look, something's going on there. We're not sure it's good. Can you go and snuff it out? When he arrived and saw the evidence of the grace of God, he was glad and encouraged them all to remain true to the Lord with all their hearts. He affirmed what was going on. He was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and faith, and a great number of people were brought to the Lord. Then Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul, who later would be called Paul. And when he found him, he brought him to Antioch. So for a whole year, Barnabas and Saul met with the church and taught great numbers of people. The disciples were first called Christians at Antioch. At this point, the movement gets a label. And it wasn't actually a flattering one. So let's look through, before we look at that, let's look through some things that happened. The church was persecuted in connection with Stephen, who was martyred. And then as they scatter, some of them start talking to Gentiles. And a great number of people, Gentiles, believed in Jesus... And they were true to the Lord. And Barnabas was sent by Jewish Christians in Jerusalem to find out what was going on with this Gentile ministry. What is happening here? We have to keep this movement pure. We have to keep it unsullied from the world. And if we bring these Greeks in, they're going to mess up our teaching. Barnabas, go find out what's going on and see if you can't stop this madness. But what happens is at great risk to himself, listen, he's already in danger because he's a Christian, right? And then he puts himself possibly at odds with the only people that really care about him, Christians, by saying, look, I'm here. It's amazing. God is working. I've told him to keep going. As a matter of fact, I'm going to help them along. I'm going to stay here for a year i'm not going to be living in jerusalem anymore i'm going to get saul you know the guy who just recently became a christian who used to kill us all that guy i'm bringing him over here and we're going to start evangelizing all these non-jewish people so he affirms the ministry he sacrifices and gets involved in the ministry it becomes his full-time life and this is actually the beginning of a very long term fight between peter whose heart was to take the gospel to Jews, and Paul, whose heart was to take the gospel to Gentiles and non-Jewish people. This began a fight that lasted for many years between Peter and Paul, and it was kind of vicious at some point. These two men of God, sacrificing for the movement, constantly bickering about whether or not there should be Gentiles involved with the church. Pretty amazing story, isn't it? And so let's look at how the church movement should be defined. And that's what we're going to do. I define for you in general what a movement is. Now I want us to define what we should look like if our church, particularly the Garden, Church of the Palms, is a movement. The first thing is it's defined by its people, not its building. This is important. See, Jewish Christians still felt that the temple was necessary to worship. As a matter of fact, that was at the core of the fight between Peter and Paul. Paul says, we don't need the temple. And Peter says, you're nuts. And so Jewish Christians, while they believed in Jesus and they were certainly believers and all those things were true, they still had great affection for the temple building. Unfortunately, The first thing most people think about when they hear the word church is what? A steeple. And I think that's sad. I wish that we could somehow transform our society to stop thinking about the word church as a building and think about it as a group of people. But unfortunately... I know during this series, I'm probably going to make some of you upset. I'm just taking that risk. There's probably what? Three, four billion dollars worth of church buildings in Sarasota? Maybe more? Right? There's some nice ones. Some of them are in foreclosure. A good number of them are close to being in foreclosure. So, a church needs to be defined by its people, not its building. Secondly, it must be defined by its actions, not its rhetoric. See, talk is cheap. Even if you are talking about your actions, talk is cheap. I hate the fact that the church has to be good at marketing. And I'm not even talking about marketing to outsiders. I get that. I hate the fact that we have to spend time and money and resources marketing to insiders. I can't stand the fact that we constantly have to sell ourselves to our members. What a waste of energy. How is that a movement? But unfortunately, and this is why I'm not very good at church politics. It's part of the game. But a church should be defined by its actions, not its rhetoric, not its social campaign. A church should be defined by its obsession and aspiration, not its preservation. You know, many Jews were concerned about dirtying up Christianity with Gentiles. Some were obsessed with just targeting Jews with the gospel. Dissatisfaction can be a powerful emotion when understood correctly. But it can also be very dangerous, especially in a local church setting. But the fact of the matter is, we must be dissatisfied to the point of obsession with our impact being insufficient. We can't be dissatisfied because we're not getting our way. But we must be dissatisfied to the point that it makes us obsess and and aspire to greater things. And so that we can be so dissatisfied with how we're doing that we're not worried about preserving who we are, preserving what we want, preserving what we like, but we are obsessed and passionate and driven to be what we should be. Now, I understand that sometimes that can happen in such a way that it might put other things in peril. I'll be honest with you. I would rather live in such a way that we are aspiring to greater impact so much so that it causes problems on the back end rather than be so unconcerned about keeping the back end going that we lose out on our impact. Which problem would you rather have? If we as a congregation lose our obsession and aspiration for what we should be, and we begin to slip into this passion for preservation and conservation so that we don't dirty up the process, we're in trouble. Dissatisfaction mixed with humility is crucial, dissatisfaction mixed with selfishness is deadly. I don't like the preaching. I don't like the music. I don't like the teaching. I don't like the carpet. That's dissatisfaction. But it's deadly. The church must be defined by its compassion, not its bitterness. Do you remember how the first century church embraced Paul in many ways? Who most likely had killed some of their own family members and closest friends? Before he was a Christian member, Paul said, I persecuted the church with zealousness. I loved killing Christians, is basically what he said. Yet Barnabas embraced him. Barnabas worked with him. See, if we truly understand... That when something comes, becomes consumed with bitterness, or anger, or resentment, we lose the desire to sacrifice, don't we? Because bitterness, and anger, and resentment lead to preservation, and, conform, and conservation, and it takes us away from impact. It could have been very easy for Barnabas to be resentful of Paul, but instead he was forgiving. See, bitterness could be powerful in its initial emotion, and bitterness could drive you to some pretty significant action, right? At first, could it not? And sometimes even that thirst for what we think is justice could even look godly. But sooner or later, if we are driven by that type of thing, the emotion, the motivation will fizzle out because bitterness never births sacrifice. Think about that for a minute. Bitterness never births sacrifice. It is by nature selfish and arrogant. Which leads us to this one. The church should be defined by its generous sacrifice, not by comfort, or its worship programs that provide comfort. See, here's what I wrote. I wrote this down. If we truly understand the sacrifices made before us by Jesus, right, at the cross, and then the early church after him, If we truly understand those, it should change the way we pursue church, and it should become less about what we are getting, what we like, what we enjoy, and should become more about what we are sacrificing, what we can give, and who we can impact. And if it doesn't become that, then sooner or later, the garden and Church of the Palms will become a place of rotting spiritual corpses. That's the bottom line. If we become consumed with comfort, we will not be a church that's consumed by generosity and sacrifice. And if that happens, we begin to rot and decay and die as a movement. Oh, we might survive for another 50 years. but it'll be more like a living room than a church. So let me ask a question. Are you comfortable and satisfied with where we are in the garden and at Church of the Palms? Do you feel like, yeah, you know, things are going okay. Are you comfortable and satisfied with the impact we have as a congregation? Remember, we can talk about some of the things we've done, or we can just do more. I'm hoping that this series might change that if you are comfortable. Because that's the last thing that I want to be. It's the last thing that we need to be. As a ministry team, and as a staff, and leadership, we want a movement not a religious living room. Because I can tell you right now, as a team, ministry team, worship team, staff, we aren't satisfied. And we hope that you aren't either. And I'm not talking about dissatisfaction because you don't like the way things are going when it comes to what you need. I'm talking about dissatisfaction that is birthed out of the fact that, yeah, we've done some good stuff. Yeah, we got Day of Hope. Yeah, we've got some other things. we got some cool stuff going on at nightlife, and we've got some other things happening with the food pantry. Yeah, that stuff is good, but we should be doing with our resources and who we are and our talents and where God has placed us on this street, in this town, we should be doing so much more. Because when a church gets this size, it's in very much danger of becoming an institution. Out of the dissatisfaction they had, just like an Antioch, I want all of us to be restless and ready to make sacrifices necessary to reach new groups of people in our community. And that's what we're going to be doing for the next four weeks, trying to assert relevance to our core values that we as leaders believe God wants us to embrace in an attempt to alter and change our fellowship and our community. Folks, listen, this series is designed for this purpose. To communicate to you and to us, frankly, that it's time to go to the next level. It's time to stop just growing spiritually. I'm sick and tired of growing spiritually in knowledge and understanding. I want to grow spiritually in action and in deed and in generosity. I'm not going to be preaching to you in this series on giving about the 10%. I hate the phrase 10%. I can't stand it. It's an arbitrary concept applied to the New Testament from the Old Testament. It has nothing to do with the New Testament. Did you know that? It has nothing to do with grace. Nothing. Sure, it can maybe be like a a standard you start with or whatever. But I would submit to you this. If you are keeping track of your sacrifice it's not really sacrifice. It's a bill. I don't want my involvement in a movement to be a bill. I want it to be a joyful, of ex- a joyful expression of my willingness to be part of a movement that has called me to sacrifice. Because people join institutions to be net receivers. They join movements to be net sacrificers. If you'll pray with me, Father, thank you.